Speaking of Mississippi is produced by the Mississippi Department of Archives and History and made possible by the John and Lucy Shackelford Charitable Fund of the Community Foundation for Mississippi. During the Great Depression, an experimental federal program aimed to lift Delta sharecroppers out of poverty. Some 100 families joined the all-black Milestone Cooperative Farm in Holmes County, and by 1945, it had its own school, health clinic, general store, and cotton gin. Support from the government waned, but many stayed on their land, and thousands of acres are still owned by descendants of those original families. Welcome to Speaking of Mississippi, where we'll explore the landmark moments and overlooked stories of our state's history. I'm Chris Goodwin. Our guests today are Leroy Johnson and Calvin Head. Leroy Johnson has been a visiting lecturer at Harvard and MIT, and currently serves as the Vice President of the Holmes County Board of Supervisors. Calvin Head is a farmer and the director of the Milestone Cooperative Association, which he helped reorganize. So the community of Milestone started out around 1940 as a social experiment. Tell, tell us about the history of Milestone. Well, um, coming out of, you know, the New Deal, uh, FDR was trying to figure out how to look at uh, providing some economics, uh, stability, um, you know, coming out of the Great Depression. And one of those was to look at this whole idea of uh, black settlements, or what they called Negro settlements at the time. Uh, and they did 13 of them across the country, right? And um, Milestone was one of those, right? And it was 10,000 acres uh, divided out amongst 100 families. Um, and as Kevin talks about it, only one of those families has lost those, that land, right? So that's a testament to it. The other thing that's a testament to it is it's the only settlement of that that of that experiment that still exists mm -hmm. in the country, mm -hmm. right? And it exists because really because of the ingenuity, uh, the will. Um, my, my grandfather used to say, "If there's a will, there's a way." Um, the Milestone farmers and the Milestone uh, community. Um, recognized that it was an opportunity and that the only way that they were going to fail is that they will fail. Uh, uh, not their power, not their abilities to go out and produce, but if they will fail, because they knew that they were going to be going up against the white establishment, these plantations uh, and places, right? Because in, in the Milestone community, you didn't just have uh, plantations, that were owned by white folk. You also had places that was owned by white folk. And those places had to have 300 acres or better. And so when any time a white person owned more than 300 acres of land, they had a place, right? So the Montgomery Place, uh, the Tolaville Place, uh, the Christmas Place, right? The Blissdale Place, right? And so all of these were named after the Smith Place, uh, the Jones Place. All of these were named after uh, those white folks who who uh, uh, had these this abundance of land, and they had sharecroppers on it, uh, farming it for them, 
right? Um, and so, um, in that in that process, you know, they were the the uh, the Milestone uh, Cooperative. Um, the people they also work cooperatively in this way, right? If you bought a planner, I didn't have to buy a planner, right? So they so they so they so they did this regimental kind of process, right? Where we need for this ten thousand acres of land for everybody to get their part of the process. What we need is to figure out how many implements do we need, right? How many how many uh, discs do we need? How many millibusters do we need? How many um, uh, turning um, plows? Yeah, plows do we need? And and they would put all that in inside of a process and say, okay, you go buy these six, right? These four go buy this six. These four go buy this six. These four go buy this six. These four go buy that six. And then they use that across the process in terms of everybody got their stuff done. Yeah, had a tool right? bank. Had a yeah. tool bank, right? So this tool bank that was became a, a very important part of their success, right? They wouldn't, they didn't strike out as independent farmers. They struck out as a cooperative, mm-hmm. figuring out how to work this process together. So, how many tractors can we get, right? And 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 the tractors went around to everybody. Right. So they bank tractors too. Yeah. Everybody couldn't afford to get a tractor. Right. Right. And so the idea was to bank it, put it together, and to make that work. Right. And so it was inside of that that they were able to to really produce. Right. And then they recognized that after they produced this, then the white owners of the gin, right, decided that, okay, y'all are actually doing this. Mm-hmm. We thought y'all were gonna fail, mm-hmm. and 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 so the idea was they didn't have the smarts to do it. They had the backs to produce cotton, but they didn't have the smarts to produce cotton. As my grandfather always <laughs> referred to me, a strong back and a weak mind. <laughs> a weak mind, right? And but but they had more than they didn't, they weren't empty, right? Empty headed, right? Right? They were smart. They were they they had ingenuity, right? Uh, and and they figured out ways to do it, right? Because this wheel, there's a way they figured out those ways, right? And they produced, and then they decided, the white uh, plantation owner decided, and the folks who had the places decided that we wouldn't gin their cotton. We wouldn't gin it, right? We're not going to gin your cotton. And a cotton gin is a different order of magnitude than a tractor. Yes, you can you can have tractors, you can have other equipment, but a gin is uh, another whole animal, yeah, yeah. right? And you didn't have but like one gen for this area, right? One gen for that area, one gen for that area, and so then every farmer had to bring their their cotton to this one gen, right? And so if you lived in the Milestone community, you had to bring bring your cotton to that gen, right? And they would let your folks they wouldn't bail their cotton, right? And so they had to wait until they did all of the building for all of the white farmers, right? And then they had the white farmers to scrap cotton, not mm-hmm. just the, the regular, <laughs> but we had to wait until they had to then scrap cotton because they got all their cotton out the field before they were then. And that's the most nervous, that's the most fraught time for farmers, right? You've produced your crop, but until you get it out of the field, it could still all go south on you. And so 
Here black farmers are sitting in line with trailers loaded with cotton, watching other folks get it bailed up. That's right. Go around them, right? And they're still sitting there. Your your trailer's still sitting there, right? <laughs> your, your trailer's still sitting there. And here the other folk gone, right? They didn't come in, gone back out. Yeah. And there you still sitting there. Yeah. Right? And they couldn't understand it. Watching for clouds to see if rain was going to keep you out yes, of the field. Yeah. Right? And they're like, we can't afford this. We can't. And they saw cotton right in the field because the weather got to it, right? Uh, and and then there was nothing you can do, right? You did all that work, right? And and you you've been successful in terms of production, and now you can't get your produce yeah. refined, mm. right? Through the cotton gene. And so then they went to the Farmers Home Administration and said, "We got to get." We got to have a cotton gene. Yeah. Right. We got to have our own. Right. And they're treating us this way. And you you all are giving them the money to treat us this way. Mm-hmm. Right. Now you didn't say it to us, go and 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 be productive. Mm-hmm. And we have. Mm-hmm. And then y'all then y'all blocking us on this end. Right. Right. And so the same white plantation owners said, don't give them no money for no cotton gene. Right. You 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 we 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 we're gonna force them out. We want that land back. And that was the whole idea was to get the land back. Yeah. Right? Because it is. I mean, it's it's prime Delta farmland, right? Yes. I mean, the soil is beautiful and it produces. I mean, Calvin Head, you grew up on a farm. Absolutely. I mean, it, Absolutely. And, and another layer and just in support of what Leroy just described in terms of the collective efforts of those individual or independent farms that were granted lands and barns and equipment. So, so they wanted to collectively um, invest in a group, and, and that's how the cooperative came to be. Right. So the cooperative um, was also allocated um, 18 acres, I believe it is, that we still have today, uh, and the other uh, structural pieces that Leroy mentioned, the post office, the store, the cotton gin, and, and, um, and there was but that that grew from that from the civil rights movement was those farmers uh being um willing to to allow their land and and to uh, to allow their resources to collectively be used to uh spear into other aspects of the community um the clinic the head start center and and all those other pieces that and, grew out of milestone and you went to the elementary school in Miles. The Head Start as well. You went to the, uh, the Head, Head Start, Start as well. The first Head Start in the state. Absolutely. Yes. The the community center and the Head Start were literally a block away from where I live. Hmm. So all of my siblings, all of everybody in the community. Yeah, that cabin said a block away. He know that was just down the road. Yeah, we call Country it down the road. Country That's block. right. Absolutely. <laughs> we just read down the road. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, That's wasn't right. no blocks. Cross the track down the road. Cross the track down the road. Come on now. Before you get to the Smith place. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and and so I, you know, it is it is it is um, that type of of things that folks said it couldn't happen. Right? They said that. Uh, African American community, black people couldn't couldn't come together. Um, but the Milestone Cooperative is a testament that they can. And the Milestone Cooperative and the Milestone community got its start through a federal program, but after not too many years, that federal support waned. Yes. And it really became incumbent on 
the the people, the families to make it work for themselves. I mean, nobody came in and solved problems for them. Not, and not only did the federal support went, um, disappear, uh, the oppression, uh, you know, was tougher. You know, they, I mean, like Leroy said, they ultimately, they wanted that land back. Right. And a lot of farmers, you know, were, the, we, we don't talk about that a lot, but they were manipulated out of their land. They were sold cars and they signed off on stuff that they really didn't know. And when I saw the list of those who had had lost their land, or, uh, or it was fraudulently taken from them by that system, it was just heartbreaking, you know. And you will see a plot of land that used to be the the Luckers land, or that used to be the Thompsons, or those families that didn't know any better, that were uh, manipulated and tricked out of their land. That's a whole nother set of people. But those that were able to hold on, that resilience, you know. The, the kind of oppression and the discriminatory practice that was levered against them and to see them hold on in the midst of all of that, you know, it just makes you wonder. Um, some parts of it in my heart want to say that 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 God allowed those struggles and, and that resilience so that, you know, we can persevere and appreciate yeah. the struggle and the suffering. And to, to this day, you know, that's that's all people talked about. My dad fall for this land and he died for it and they protected it with their lives and we're not going to let anybody take it from us. I mean, you could hear some of the stories that these that farmers can tell you that would be just absolutely incredible to believe. Yeah. So how many of the original families still have a connection with Milestone and the, car, and the property? Almost all of them in one aspect or another. Milestone Co-op had a, a charter uh, initially, that 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 mandated you had to be an agricultural a producer of agriculture before you can become a member, and they had shareholders and they had common stock and all of that stuff. But uh, we kind of changed that because, as I said, we moved a little bit away from agricultural to economic and community development. There was many different tentacles, but you know the nucleus is still the yeah. agricultural piece. But they kind of they were a little more flexible among the membership, so so everybody somehow, even women. Yeah. We're kind of, you know, in the minority in terms of co-op membership, but but it's open now and um, people are more inclusive. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people still, there's a lot of apathy still mm -hmm. uh, among people and they um, talk about how things are different and, and things are worse and better in some. It's just depending on who the person who's telling the story. And And if you were a landowner, you were not at the whim of white folks around in the same way. And, and so the history of black land ownership really is what undergirds the civil rights movement. It, it gives them the space to organize, to develop, and to make plans. And that happened in Milestone. It happened in Milestone. Milestone was the cradle, right? It was, it was the cradle. Uh, it, it it grew and nurtured up, right? right? Um, uh, the civil rights movement, not just in uh, Holmes County, but across the state of Mississippi, yeah. right? It 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 was a place where, um, when when the um, they could invite folk to come, right. And they didn't have to worry about it. And they were like, okay, you know, they were the open green, Greenwood, mm -hmm. uh, SNCC was. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to 
trying to figure out how to how to get ground and then they kept pushing up against and 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 Mega Edwards had been there and he had been pushing up against mm-hmm. all of this stuff and 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 what Mega found out is that he could he could he could work with sharecroppers but he couldn't find professional folk and he couldn't find the churches right who had been opened in other places confine them in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. But what, what because what folks didn't understand that in the rural communities, a lot of these churches were were plantation-owned churches. That the plantation owner built the church, right? right and determined who the minister was going to be. It wasn't the members of the of the congregation who made that determination, mm-hmm. right? The plantation owner made that determination. And so they set up their figureheads who were going to do exactly what they told them to do. Give them some religion. That's what he said. He used to say, give them some religion, but don't make them uppity. Oh, I'm like, wait a minute now. Give them some religion, but don't make them uppity. Right? Now, what 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 religion is supposed to do? Supposed to pacify them, right? Uh, so now they can sing their song. They ain't got to go out and sneer, you know, mm-hmm. steal away, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and the song says, steal away, steal yeah. away to Jesus, right? And they ain't got to steal away. We're going to give them a place where they can worship, right? Right? But they got to understand that inside that worship, they got to become placid, right? They got to become domesticated, right? And and so my my grandmama used to tell me, boy, we ain't we we we, we ain't raise you, we reared you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right? It's different between raising because right. she said you can you can raise up crops and you can you can you can you can raise animals, but 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 you got to rear up children, right? And so and so I had the family who came out of there because their own land, to to be able to say we rearing you, we are rearing you up to be, to be something, right? And 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 she said you know, you got to continue to rear up like a horse, mm-hmm. right? Right? You can't be placid, you can't stand inside that. You got to you got to be able to do that. And so and so Milestone was that place where because they they were independent black farmers, right? That they were willing to say, you can't put me off of your place. Right. Right. Because Fannie Lou, the first time Fannie Lou went to, <laughs> to, to Fannie Lou Hamer went to, <laughs> to go down and, and register, as they said, register. And mm-hmm. they went down there to register and they were, she, for, she got back home and put her off the place. Yeah. yeah. Right. Gave her a choice, said, you can't keep your name on there. She said, I'm keeping my name on there. And they put her off. That night. That's right. right? Th- th- those are your choices, right? And so in Holmes County, here were these independent black farmers who were saying, come on, mm-hmm. right? You ain't got to, we, 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 we can take care of that. Right. And then, and then we, can, we can go your bail, right? <laughs> they were going to bail of right. civil rights leaders, right? They were going, when you got arrested, they would go in and put up their land to get you out of jail, right? They would be able to put up the money. And so- it, it was it was that independent black farmers who were the key to the abilities to have a freedom movement in the state of Mississippi, and that started in in Holmes County in 1963, when those four farmers went over into Greenwood and said to Bob Moses and to Stick Snick, "You need to come to Holmes County, right?" And 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 so Bob and them laid out. All the percussions of them coming, and they sent John Ball over there. He was the first one that came. John was the first one to come. John Ball came over there to Holmes County to Milestone, right? And 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 John like, oh, <laughs> these folks getting ready. 
so he went back and told and told Bob and said, Bob, these folk at home kind of ready. Mm-hmm. Said so, said so all they need is some is some training. Right? That's all they need. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, and and he said, and they'll be ready to go. Right. And he said, and they already started inviting black landowners from other parts of the county to come down and learn with them. In 1936, a coalition of liberal Christians, the Southern Tenant Farmers Union, and the Socialist Party of America established Delta Cooperative Farm in Cahoma County, Mississippi. Its early success led to the creation of Providence Cooperative Farm in Holmes County. These multiracial cooperatives were committed to economic equality, so all members were to receive equal pay for equal work. Those members raised cotton and cattle, operated a pasteurizing plant, and ran a sawmill. Both members and nearby communities benefited from such of the cooperative services as a credit union, medical clinic, library, and religious and educational programs. Author Will D. Campbell traced the fascinating history of the site in his 1992 book, Providence. Providence Farm operated for some 15 years before several factors, including the tense political climate of the 1950s and poor cotton sales at Providence, led to the abandonment of these cooperative efforts. Today, the Mississippi Department of Archives and History is responsible for the Providence Farm site. Harmon Turnbow was the first, they call him civil rights worker, but he called himself freedom movement person, right? Um, he was a freedom movement person. He was the first one who got arrested, one, for shooting into his own house right. and setting fire to his own house, right? So, so <laughs> Ku Klux Klan came while he was at a meeting, and they came and they first went there and set a fire, right? Uh, cut out the windows and kill his dogs because uh, he had hun dogs, right? Because, you know, one of the things you had to do to, to, to make ends meet uh, <laughs> was to do hunting, right? You had to hunt for, for food, but you also had to hunt to sell, right? Uh, and so, so, so part of that is you got to have that to, to, to do that with. Um, and, but Harmon also was coming out of the military, right? And in Milestone community, you know, over in Louisiana, they had the deacons for defense. But in the Milestone community, they had the veterans for defense, right? And there were these veterans who had been taught by the U.S. military, how to how to how to how to take care of yourself, right? And how to defend yourself and then how to fight a war, right? And they used that other part of the process. And so when they came back, they brought him from the meeting to come back to set him up so that the so that the, the Ku Klux Klan could drive through and kill him. Yeah. Right? Right? And they got his folk, got his wife out and then left him and they got the two uh two nurses out and so they came looking for him and the Ku Klux Klan came and you know it's strange how Shad Smith and his deputies were also part of the Klan right and so you had the Shad department and the Klan working in unison <laughs> to come and shoot this man and burn this man out right and so when he get, he went there he did that right and they came and and Bob Moses was in there, 
And and Hartman said, look, Bob, you can talk about all about this non this nonviolence that you want, but I'm protecting myself. And when they started to shoot, he started to shoot, right? And he shot all 16 of them shots and then reloaded again and started shooting some more, right? And and ran them the clan away. Uh, he wasn't the only somebody shooting up in there, but they ran the clan away. They were using shotguns because he said, now you ain't got to bring your own. I got yours. <laughs> that was the other thing. He said, you ain't got to have none. <laughs> I got some here for you. So so he used his 22 rifle because he had become an ace shooter, right, a sharpshooter in the military. And so he used his 22 rifle, and then others used the shotguns as a part of the part of the process, and they had a 16 gauge, and then they had a, a 410 gauge shotgun, and they all used those. Bobby never used one, but but the mother folk did. Holly Watkins did. <laughs> Holly Watkins did, and I'm clear Hollis Watkins did because I helped found Southern Echo with Hollis, yep. and so Hollis Hollis shot too, right? Other part of the process, but they arrested him, right, for shooting into his own house and setting fire to his own property, right. Put him in jail, put him in there as a part of the process, and they had to bail him out, right, as a part of the process. And it was strange. The only time civil rights worker got arrested for arson and shooting at his, his own, own house. Calvin Head, you have family connections to the movement as well. Oh, my mom, um, she was very much part of the process. Um, she worked uh, inside of the Head Start Center. She was an uh, active member of the movement when they built the community center. And uh, we saw pictures of the actual construction of it and, and um, all of my family, basically, um, her siblings and my uh, siblings, my cousins, all of us were hung around there with every other child in the community. That's where... We all gathered on certain days, and I remember like it was yesterday, just going into the library and reading refreshing books. And, and, and as I mentioned, I, you know, as a child, I didn't really understand the struggle. I didn't know what they were up against. But I, over the years, just hearing stories about, um, as Leroy talked about, Mr. Turnbull, but they had a well-organized system. When you cross that track, especially at night, because the, the power structure mostly attacked at night, if they didn't know who you were, uh, how they communicated without text messages and all that, I don't know. But they knew when trouble was coming. And, and, and I think the enemy knew not to go down those paths unannounced or, or, or unaware of who you were because it was very dangerous. And, and she talked about how they felt safe and secure because of those people that were protecting right. them, you right. know, using defensive postures. Not aggressive because they always said nonviolent, but... You weren't there coming out that, that where the community center was and, and they didn't know who you were. It was going to be some trouble. That's right. That's right. And so that's how they protected themselves. But, yeah, I, my family was deeply, deeply connected. Calvin Head, you have spent years now dedicated to staying in Milestone to helping folks make a living there from the land and in fact, even working with younger folks on it. Tell us a little bit about those efforts. Absolutely. Um, so when I got involved with the cooperative, I understood the history and I understood uh, who the uh, inheritor, well, these are like third generation farmers now. And um, uh, when we started the meeting, because 
the cooperative had um, died out. Yeah. For the older people had literally died out, and then the younger people just didn't have an interest in it. Mm-hmm. And you had these um, independent farmers who were members of the cooperative but weren't operating cooperatively at all. Um, and then so when we reorganized, we began to share resources, and we began to uh, share equipment. Um, what, began, year did, what year did y'all leave? I want to say around 2002. Yeah. Somewhere along those lines. Um, and then the cooperative by structure is called, the, um, it was Milestone Cooperative AAL. You can Google it, you can't find it. There are very few cooperatives that use that increment. AAL, it stands for Agricultural Association Law. Hmm. And it was set up because the cooperative by nature were agricultural cooperative, number one, but number two, they were different in the sense that they render services as opposed to trying to make a big profit. Everybody mm-hmm. wanna make money, but but the services um that was rendered was a different animal yes. from a structural and organizational perspective. So we had to reincorporate that kind of mentality back into farmers and say that we can work together and at the same time, to your point, uh the struggle, uh trying to grow these traditional crops. It was very, very challenging to a lot of them because they didn't get the resources that that USDA was offering other farmers. As a matter of fact, um, some of the members of the um, USDA, uh, people that were benefiting from USDA, USDA would share the information with the white farmers to say, this farm is struggling, he's not going to make it. And they would literally go out to those farms and they would like pick the spots that they thought they were going to overtake from farmers. But it like I said, the resilience and, mm-hmm. you know, we introduced to the farmers an opportunity to diversify right. and get into alternative farm practices um, that weren't so overhead in terms of cost and mm-hmm. uh, operate from an operational perspective, but it's growing vegetables and trying mm-hmm. to do something else. And then, like I said, the um, taking them away from uh, machinery and equipment um, because let Vegetable production was a lot more hand intense, and that's that's why we that's how we brought the young people into the fold to say, here's a labor force, you know, here's a market. Uh, first thing was the market. So, literally back then, we had a little red pickup truck. That's the only transportation <laughs> piece we had, and and we took a, a group of young people to Cisco. That was our first yeah. big market. Yeah. And um, and we said to Cisco, you know, we saw your truck delivering products at our school. Here we have these young people in the community who are eating stuff that they don't know where it come from mm-hmm. that can now grow stuff that would um, save you money because you don't have to buy so much from New Mexico and, and your shipping right. and transportation costs would be reduced because we're an hour away from you. Right. And we had those young people literally at the table in the merchandise office in Cisco here in Jackson and uh, – and then we went back to farm and said, hey, we got a market. We got buyers. And then everybody began to grow. And I think that was where we really started the process of working together cooperatively and, and getting farmers to really thinking about uh, diversification. Yeah. And so how many, how many farm families do you work with now? As far actively about 10 yeah. uh, that'll be growing for this particular market we have right now. Um, but over the uh, over the years, you know, like I say, others have died on. Yeah. Um, we've had as high as fifteen, sixteen. Uh, they were very, very active as part of the process. Um, 
so so now we're trying to show young people here's a way that you can take some of this land and we had a couple of farmers to donate uh Roy Brown donated about 14 acres mm. and and we sectioned them off um and uh a couple of young people really did very well uh, off their own crop so uh we're trying to engage them yeah. not only in being labor but being part of all the infrastructure associated right. with it we're sort of a bunch of old heads sitting around this table, but but young folks have interests, perhaps in some of the same things, but they call it by different names, certainly organic produce and just paying attention to what they put in their bodies is really important to them. Absolutely. Um, to your point, we participated in a project this past year, and I, I've been growing with the cooperative in a traditional way in terms of vegetable production you know, with the herbicides, pesticides, right. insecticide, but there's a concept known as biodynamics. Yeah. And they got this product that's called Ocean Gold, um, and it is unbelievable. I mean, it grows products um, a lot faster. They're a lot healthier crops. The yield is, is a lot higher. And we took some children from 7 to about uh, 14, I think it was, and introduced them to that to say, you know, Here's some stuff we can grow without the chemicals, mm -hmm. and, and it's a good, healthier crop. You can eat it right off the stalk. Mm -hmm. So training them and making them understand that a lot of our health issues, and a lot of the issues in terms of uh, longevity and lifespan has to do with the stuff that we're eating. Yeah, And and, and that's why there's a huge, huge um, health disparity in Holmes County. Um yeah, so many food deserts oh my across the Delta, across oh Mississippi. Gosh. Um, one positive thing that has come from a, a sad thing. So the elementary school closed and, uh, and that's a loss for the community, but tell us a little bit about what is going on there now. Yeah. The elementary school in the head start closed almost the same year. Um, like I said, from a previous administration who then see or understand maybe the history of the co-op and the important, I mean, of the community and that school and, the Head Start being the birthplace yeah. uh, there in Milestone. And they literally just tore one building down and shut the other one down. Mm -hmm. And um, the school board called us one day and said, hey, um, could you find something that the cooperative can do with that school? It was a school and I think 11 acres associated with it. And we took a deep breath and we were concerned, you know, such a huge facility. Yeah. And, so much overhead, uh, the resources were limited, but um, we went out on faith and we took an our, took a chance on it, and and then um, we were able to get this grant from USDA to, to establish a hydroponic uh, system inside of that gym, a seventy five hundred square feet, sixteen thousand plants a week can be produced, twenty two mm. people employed, um, so it was a no brainer. Uh, after that, uh, initially it was just a social uh, kind of center, but we were kind of upside down, you know, the revenue generated from having, say, a wedding or a birthday party, you know, it, it was just not sustainable. Yeah. So so now we got into more sustainable concepts and that, that 22,000 square feet facility, Leroy, has been instrumental in help bringing funders in to understand and see our struggle, our cry, and ask them for help just to get us started. Yeah. Because, you know, a grant comes and goes. You live by it and you die by the lack of it. That's right. So we're looking at sustainability. We're looking at building infrastructure inside the core, bringing in 
a lot of key people to make up a, a business model. Yeah. So we'll move from not so much a charitable organization, but more of a business model type mm-hmm. organization. Every one of the entities that we've uh, created um, have, I guess we want to say cash registers, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word, that generate resources. But it's all about building onto that, putting it back into the community. But more importantly, the AAL piece, rendering services. Mm-hmm. Rendering services that are not uh, necessarily available to people in communities. Um, we employ a lot of young people, and we're looking to employ a lot more. Not just young people. We target those unskilled people that, that you look at them and you would be surprised at the level of talent that's just standing on a corner, yeah. you know, just hoping for an opportunity. And um, we don't require a lot of credentials. As a matter of fact, I didn't know this long as I've been there. You, There are so many people who don't even have ID mm-hmm. or a birth certificate mm-hmm. or a Social Security card. And and that would be their hindrance or their excuse to not go and better themselves because they, well, I don't have a bill. Well, it's easy to get a Social Security card or, you know, or get a form of ID and 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 making them understand, you know, you're not a victim because of that. You mm-hmm. just need to not make excuses and overcome those obstacles. And then we will we'll employ you. Yeah. And sort of like. I mean, that sort of harkens back to the the story of Milestone of old when the residents reached out to teach other folks around the Delta the way that it could be done. Well, Milestone is, is one of the most fascinating places and stories that Mississippi has to tell, both the history and the future of it. Calvin Head, Leroy Johnson, thank you for being with us today and talking about your home. We appreciate we appreciate the abilities to to talk about and get get the the history out right uh, and to let people know that uh, we're still working we're still moving a movement still exists in Holmes County. Speaking of Mississippi is a joint production of the Mississippi Department of Archives and History and the Community Foundation for Mississippi. Our opening music comes from a 1942 recording by Sid Hemphill, the most storied black musician in the Mississippi Hills in the early 20th century. Our closing music was recorded in 1939 by Tishomingo County fiddler John Hatcher and included on the 1985 Mississippi Department of Archives and History release, Great Big Yam Potatoes. I'm Chris Goodwin, and thank you for listening to Speaking of Mississippi.